Welcome to episode 373 of Troubadours and Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we have the executive committee member of the Pennsylvania State Democratic Party and chair of the PA State Progressive Caucus, among other things, our resident politico, Dwayne Heisler. We talked to Dwayne about a host of things, including the Black Lives Matter movement, politics in Washington and in Pennsylvania and across the nation, your sense of self uh, about what is good, <laughs> what is bad, grand conversation with Dwayne Heisler on today's program. We have an EWSA titled Courage, and we also share with you a musical spoken word piece featuring Charles Mingus with the words of George Floyd, Trayvon Martin, Eric Garner, and James Baldwin. And we have a poem called Redress. So nice to have you with us. Let's get to it. Episode 373 of Troubadours and Tours.
Courage. On back streets, we play for keeps as poets and activists alike are going on strike, as if that is still a viable thing here in the USA, where we are most motivated in a pursuit of the bling bling. Can you hear the three black senators in Washington, D.C. lament the action of the white privileged senator from Kentucky? as he argues to weaken a federal law against lynching. On the day a man's life and death are being remembered, identified as a symbol of our union's far less than perfect way, the pandemic of present day respiratory struggle still spreads through the air if we don't wear our masks. And our social ills still spill blood and pain as we wear our masks, pretending we are all kind, good, courageous, and that we do what we should in the name of love and justice. How does it change? We human animals, so intelligent to have the luxury of being weak and lazy, so close yet so lonely and driven crazy, by fear of a higher power's wrath and judgment, so crazy and lost as we bow down to the system of mazes we carouse, aroused at the prospect of great wealth and acclaim. We can be better than this, I think, instead of such grand-scale collective displays of lame. Yesterday, trouble was so far away, making castles in the sand. Everyone a different shade, but everybody was the same. When the lion kissed the lamb, so it seems in my dreams, baby. I'm talking about that good life I can see All the colors show us what it really means To be beautiful Remember when the violence stopped And all the doors were left unlocked Stranger was your brother Remember when the bank got sold And everybody took their gold And everybody helped each other Ooh, so it seems In my dreams May it be I'm talking about that good life Beautiful 
Eisler, is that you? It's me. How are you? I'm I'm good. Uh, let let me. Uh, well, I'm going to tell you in a second how I really am. But first, let me give everybody a little background. We have one of our regular contributors here. I'm happy to say on uh, Troubadours and Rock On Tours, Dwayne Heisler. He's an executive committee member of the PA State Democratic Party and chair of the PA State Progressive Caucus. He's a union man and our resident politico. Nice to have you on again, Dwayne. I am I am pleased to be here. Um, I wish the circumstances were different, but um, it seems that almost every time I get on this call with you, I, I have to say that, and I, I can't imagine beginning and having a conversation with you without somehow acknowledging the moment that we're in right now, you know? I know. Uh, I know. With the, what's happening across the country and uh, for me and in, in, in the, like cities in my state and towns, small small towns in my community. I'm in a very rural area and there have been um, protests that have been happening in, in these small towns all around me um, in, in very rural Pennsylvania um, and not creating a, a space to acknowledge this and and one thing that I I've noticed and I I, I definitely want to want to say just to kind of kick off our conversation here is that I've heard from more people um, both within the union um, I work for SEIU Healthcare PA but also um, with uh, partners progressive uh, organizers um, that work on state issues on state budget just everything that I've. I, I'm in touch with. I'm hearing, and in fact, I heard it this morning on a on a call that um, there is a feeling of hope that's there because of the diversity of the people who are coming out to protest right now. Yeah, like it, it all comes, and I'm sure you've heard it yourself too. And I just wanted to to mention that, and and but that hope is accompanied with a fear that I often hear after someone expresses that that their fear is that that maybe it won't result in change, that, that things are going to go back to the way it was. 
And um, so it's this juxtaposition, this this kind of this this incredible hope because, and even folks comparing it to maybe protest in the '60s where it wasn't as diverse as we're seeing. And you know, I, I want to call it for what it is. You know, diverse in terms of race, in terms of age, in terms of of uh, of uh, social economic background. Um, I mean, you name it. It's a very diverse showing of. Americans right now who are 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 um, are standing up and saying that black lives matter and uh, in, in a very strong way in a in a in, during a pandemic right you know um, exactly. so it's weird as hell isn't it it really is and you know you know I've been really thinking about about this too especially with what Trump came out and said in regard to the use of the military and then you have the mingling of the military with the national guard and with the police and in some cases now without like identifying who's what like you would see in a russian occupation right <laughs> um and and the mingling of that and how the police or you know that 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 force is is, is not necessarily there in in all cases Square, oh, yes. they're, they're abuse, there to like, abuse of power. Yeah, to enforce the social order, you know, of whiteness, right? Like, um, which is in these protests, some of these protests, there are calls for white people to run to the front of the lines, and you can visibly see that mechanism, like, back off then, you know, um, at the front of those lines. It's a visible thing that you see. And, and so... Yeah, I, I mean, th this this is something that's really outraged me. And I, I know today I'm seeing there's a little bit of, there's been a lot of pushback to the call to send military into states, you know, even without the consent of governors. Um, but we have to remember that everything that Trump does is self-centered. Mm -hmm. You know, it's all centered around his own fear or his own anger or golfing or whatever. You know, like, it's always about, like, the fact, I mean, this whole thing started, this part of it started when word got out that he was escorted to his bunker during a protest, right? Yep. And, and being seen as being afraid and in fear, like, just sent him through the roof, yep. right? Yep, Um And, and so he used the military to attack peaceful protesters and the clergy as well, who were removed from their own church, Right. To, to to make an election year photo op holding up a Bible without making a speech, without reading from the thing, right? Right. Like, he didn't meet with anyone, but he, he in fact, he forcibly had the clergy removed from the church, you know? like St. John's, uh, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So it's crazy. I'm a little wound up about all this stuff. And, <laughs> I am too. And, uh, I have to, you know what's you know what's crazy too. Yeah, I've, I've heard some evangelical responses, like the evangelicals that, for what whatever weird uh, reason, support Trump uh, in large numbers. They they call what he did a Jericho walk, and I'm not even sure what that is, but I think it's some something good, you know, based on the way they uh, uh, interpret scriptures. Uh, what he did when he walked from the White House to St. John's was 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 a powerful statement. You know, even when he does these things that are totally contradictory to what we stand for as a civilized civil uh, union, they they still 
support those being a lot of the, the the very conservative religious sorts out of the evangelical Christian movement still support him. I don't get it at all. I don't know if it's ignorance, if it's hate. Uh, I'm not sure. Well, I they will. Uh, I, there's a lot to un- unravel there. I think it's it's a worldview. I think it's. Um, you know, we, we can only be those things that we experienced and that we understand and our, our brains are wired in such a way that when we see something that, that doesn't quite make sense to our word, world view, then what we do is we, you know, we, we, we attack it or we don't even physically hear it or we, we don't acknowledge it. And it's that part in the conversation where someone just refuses to answer a question, they may not have even heard it because it just... Our brains can't process it when we are not open in such a way to hear things that may be in conflict with our worldview. But you know, to, to bring it back to to what you know what Trump did when when the general kind of defined it as a battle space, mm-hmm. like American cities mm-hmm. and different places in our country as a battle space. They're not talking. Let's be clear. They're not talking about a battle space. They're talking about battle states. And I think that if we can make that connection, that all of this is about Trump's fear of losing the election and how does he connect with his base, which you just defined, right? The evangelical base, I mean, it was so close, the election, that any one of these components could have meant a win or a loss. I mean, he's the, the biggest loser of the, of the, uh, of the vote, you know, he he only won because of the electoral vote, not popular, of the popular vote. Yeah, vote. three million yeah, he's the just about loser of the popular vote. You know, in the history of our country, and so the, that evangelical vote is really that's what that was all about. It was battling for the battle states, not for the battle space. And it's a fear over losing the election. And you just have to call for what it is. I mean, the military. When you join the military, you sign an oath to support and defend. Not Donald Trump, right? You, to support and defend the Constitution of the United States, which is why we've seen these statements and resignations and this backlash from even within the military mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to Trump doing something like this, which is so anti-American. It is, and I think you're right. A lot of uh, the military leaders that truly believe in in uh, the the role, as you just uh, described it, of the military and defending the Constitution and and uh, the fellow their fellow citizens, the military personnel's fellow citizens, and thus they are uh, totally insulted and uh, opposed to his uh, Donald Trump's uh, approach and and, the, and his you know syncophants uh, and and. The, crazy enablers uh, their approach to to how to use the military and, I, and it's that's good to see then then we're not uh, dick you know uh, then then the dictatorship is not viable if the military leaders do not support him so here so here's what happened to me about 12 years ago or so i had the opportunity to actually go to cuba and and so it, it had nothing to do with any of the like who i am like you gave this introduction of who i am all that that stuff i'm actually a musician too so and um, I had met someone at a hurdy-gurdy workshop, if you even know what that is, but whatever. And um, there was this cultural exchange that was happening. And a month ahead of time, someone had to back out because of a medical reason. And a friend of mine in Chicago that I met at this at this workshop said, there's room to go to Cuba. Do you have a 
passport? Do you want to go on a cultural tour? I was like, hell yes, you know? And, and so <laughs> I got my stuff together. I got packed up. I, I didn't bring a hurdy-gurdy, um, but it was, it was a jazz tour, actually. And I went um, on this tour, and while I was in Havana, I witnessed what it looks like to be in a major city with the military on the corners, with their machine guns, with their riot gear, all that stuff on like every other corner. It was normal. That was their normal in Havana is to have military on the streets like that. I remember the impression that it made on me 12 years ago to see a city like being policed in that way with the military under direct control of an authoritarian government, of a communist government, right? And, and, and then there was an incident that happened. There was an altercation near a bar. I don't know if someone was drunk or not or what was going on, but there was some yelling in the street. And I remember the guy was kind of like, oh, they, they, they need to be careful. They need to watch out. And sure enough, they were grabbed. This person was grabbed by a few people with machine guns and, you know, military folks. And he was drug into the back of a truck. And mm. the guy turned to me and said, well, we'll never see that guy again. Wow. And But what was really remarkable to me was the hatred of the military by the people. And I can't say that in the United States we hate our military. We don't. We, like, lift up veterans and people who dedicate their lives to protecting us and, and to defending our, our the, the, the Constitution of the United States. But when we start using or even threatening to use military and mixing them up with the National Guard and with the police to do, to do, to remove peaceful people and clergy so that a president can make a photo op for a presidential election? Where are we? Yeah, great, great question and great analysis. I thought for sure you were going to say the F word. Uh, I almost did. <laughs> I almost did. But I remember that this sometimes gets broadcast on radio like that's a little bit more open. Yeah. So thank you for pointing that out. Feel free, whoever's listening, to insert it anywhere you like while listening. Um, it might be fun. You know, you can have fun with this. This is the um, the uh, audience participation part. Right? Yeah, right now you could all say, go, go say it. There you are. Yeah, just, just say it. Get it out. Get it all out. But you know what? This is a time for us to get it out. Yeah. Like, it, yeah. that's the other thing that I'm hearing quite often, and, and to be a little bit more serious about this, now is the time to really stand up and speak out. Now is the time to do that. I know sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm actually like half Latino as well, but I didn't realize that until like uh, like a year ago or so. Really? Um, yeah. Yeah. It was really very strange. Uh, thank you, Ancestry. But um, yeah. Yeah. Um, because I never knew who my father was. Um, so, um, but anyway, um, but now is the time to really speak out. And I know sometimes as, a, as, as white people, we feel that we, we don't want, we don't want to make a mistake and we don't want to offend and we don't want to, and we think maybe the way to not be racist is to not talk about race. And that's just, not helpful, right? At this moment, we need to speak out. We need to have the courage. And we also need to realize that we will lose some friends and family members in doing so. Mm -hmm. um, that's going to happen. But it's up to us to speak with our children, to speak with our um, with other white folks in order to to make sure that 
Um, and, and we make mistakes all the time. I make mistakes all the time in doing this and to acknowledge that it's a time to speak up. And, and, and if we don't then, and I know this as being a gay man as well, right? I know what silence equals. Yeah. It, 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 uh, basically means you, as Desmond Tutu so eloquently, eloquently put it, you, you then support the oppressor if you're silent. If yeah. there's an oppressor and a victim and you're silent as you witness the oppression, then you support the oppressor. Yeah, MLK too, right? It, it wasn't, it's not like all the bad things. Oh, what a terrible misquote here. I don't want to misquote this. Yeah. Because that you remember, what you'll remember are the people who remain silent. Right. Yeah, you and I are, are, are not in the same echelon as Desmond Tutu or Dr. King for sure. But, you know, we could reference them in, in, inadequately enough where maybe people could really look it up. Uh it's it's amazing though, as white guys. Again, you know, I'm a European American, um, and you are a European American, Latino American. You found out as well, I guess, right? I'm not sure. Latinos are such a broad term. I'm not sure in what way. You- oh. <laughs> yeah. So to be clear, so I grew up in a Polish section in Brooklyn, like North Seventh Street, right mm-hmm. around. Like that's where I was kind of born there, lived there a short time, but then moved very quickly into Pennsylvania. You know, when I was in elementary school, but relatives all over in Staten Island and in Brooklyn and Queens and Manhattan. Um, and um, so, um, but um, so the ancestry that I found out is actually um, goes back. So like the 1700s to Puerto Rico, um, and there's also some Native American Indian in there too, um, and um, also Spain and Portugal and that kind of thing. And um, so, um, and I'm 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 not quite sure how to embrace it. I know that when I filled out the census this year, I felt I was owning something about myself, um, which everyone should do. Make sure you're counted in the census. So I felt like a real way of doing that, but I'm, I, I, I'm getting a little bit more like not feeling parts of different categories. Like I, I feel, am I lying when I fill out a form or how should I speak to something? Um, I'm trying to navigate that. So if any of you listeners out there can give me some help with that, that would be great. Um, but yeah, so yeah, it is a broad term and I'm not even sure. So I guess I'm, I'm, uh, like, um, Puerto Rican. I'm, you know, with Spanish and Portuguese heritage. I, I'm not quite sure. Yeah, um, and, and that Puerto Rican uh, is a mixed bag because there, if you look at uh, where uh, I'm sure a lot of it comes from, y- y- there are oppressors involved there, and there are indigenous people involved there, right? Yeah. So yeah. your ancestry has in it oppressors and and, and some indigenous folks from that Caribbean place in, in our in our world. And that's something we all have to struggle with, you know, uh, especially, I mean, I don't know my, my background as specifically. I'm just, I'm, I'm Calabrese, 100% Calabrese, which is a type of Italian. And there are many different people that have come through that part of Italy over, thou, you know, a thousand years, Spanish, Northern Africans, Greek, French, and so on. So we all are all connected. When you break it down, it really is asinine and silly in terms of, you know, these categorizations, but for the fact that we experience the world differently based on how people perceive us, right? I mean, you're just a human guy, but you're a, you're a gay man. 
uh, which brings with it a bunch of different sorts of interpretations and reactions and response to you by larger society. If you're a person of color on top of that, there are other types of responses that you're going to have coming at you from society because of the way you, you are perceived by society. So it's it's strange as hell. I mean, in essence, I think most of us, you and I would agree that we're just human, but you can't just say we're all human only. We all have different experiences. It all goes back to that Black Lives Matter and when people start responding saying all lives matter. When people say that, they don't understand what the point is and what the rationale is of needing to say black lives matter. You know, that, and, and, and that's where, you know, going back to what you were saying earlier, too, where you're going to lose some friends and you lose some family members when you call people out on that. Uh, it, it's, it's a tough uh, sort of a line, set of lines to walk to understand who we are as a people, as humans. See, if, and I think right now in this moment, if you're going to walk those lines, you really need to understand the lives that are on the line. Yes. There are, there are so many circumstances right now, and I think that this kind of, that, that phrase right there kind of ties it all together for me. The idea that lives are in the line. Lives are on the line for, um, for what we're seeing, you know, and what we, the, for the systemic racism that we see, um, you know, for hundreds of years. Um, uh, lives are on the line. You know, I, I work for a healthcare union, right? And lives are on the line during this pandemic. Um, you know, frontline care and, and workers and, and, um, and, and that, it, and we know, you know, how we're seeing, you know, that there was this myth that, that the pandemic is, is, is blind to race and blind, like it's the, the great equalizer. And it is not, mm-hmm. it is not in any way, shape or form. It, 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 it exposes all of that. For what it truly is, and and that um, that this is disproportionately affecting um, Black lives um, and people of color and people who don't have insurance and poor, you know, it just it just all the way across the board. So it, it is it is the idea of like trying to find our space. I think when when all of this is on the line right now in a presidential election you know like there's that too so you know we it's almost sometimes it's almost hard to imagine that we just had a primary you know uh on tuesday in pennsylvania yeah yeah i know right like it's almost it's it's hard to to even like yeah that that did happen um we think of like determinants for um for health um, you know, health determinants. So, like, what are the determinants for for health? For health, and I'm thinking more so in line with a with a book I recently was a, the, uh, introduced to. There's political determinants of health. Um, you know, just making that argument that it's really about the politics and and the social conditions and the political influences. You know, that we have that are are one of the biggest factors in our health than than anything else. It's like the root of so much that we do. Um, you know, uh, you know, poor environmental conditions. I mean, tr- traditionally, you look at inadequate transportation, unsafe neighborhoods, lack of food options, like, like, um, you know, healthcare. You know, all those kind of things. But there's also like these political determinants of health, right? Of of how these policies like interact, and I think that kind of gets back to the fear. You know, there was the hope that such a diverse population is coming out to stand. Uh, against this violence, but uh, and, and the injustice, but then there's also the fear: like, is this going to really result in policy? Is it going to result in change? Is it going to result in laws? In you know, uh, enforcement? You know, all of those things. So, 
Um, so I, I like that you brought up the idea of lines. That that makes a lot of sense to me. Thinking about it that way. Yeah, yeah. You you know, it's it's tough to try to figure all this out, and and you go, you know, in how to respond. And and you and I are believers in in government being able to, and really the purpose of government is to help us deal with our challenges as a people. Uh, so you know, you being a politico, uh, you're 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 in the thick of things. What are you seeing uh, nationally, statewide? Do you see that we're we're going to uh, push out people like Mitch McConnell, you know, uh, and, and, the, and that elk, and, and put in more reasonable people? <laughs> the bar is really low, right? <laughs> That's true. Mitch McConnell, you just set the bar really low. <laughs> so I would answer with a resounding yes, right? Like, yeah. Man, I mean, we, we, we can do much better than that, um, I think. Um, and, and I see some of this happening in my state, like, too. Like, we have uh, we have groups in, like We the People campaign, uh, six, a state innovation team, my, even my own union, SCIU, Service Employees International Union, talking about, you know, what Pennsylvania needs right now and a just recovery and what does a just recovery look like, um, you know, when, when Republicans in my state were just pushing, pushing for reopening bills regardless of the consequences that are associated with it. In fact, just as a little aside of like on the Politico side of things, there was something really dis disgusting that happened about two weeks ago. Uh, Republican House leadership found out that, uh, uh, and this is unheard of, like found out that one of their members had tested positive and um, they withheld that from the Democratic caucus mm -hmm. and continued with meetings um, and actually like warned some key people who worked closely with this member of the house. And so they went into quarantine, but they exposed members like they warned their own members of their own party, but they exposed Democratic members, one of which had given up a kidney recently. Another one who has like family, uh, her her um, her son has been like struggling with cancer and is immune exposed like all like, and, and the list goes like on and on that this is what it could because in the it, they were calling for the reopening and saying it was safe at the same time that a member of the house of 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 the of the pennsylvania house actually tested positive and they couldn't deal with that optic mm, yeah right and so there are all these calls for the leader of our house to, for Mike Terzai to resign and to step down for putting people at risk for misleading. I mean, just, um, just disgusting. So there's a little bit of, uh, I guess like, I don't know, Harrisburg intrigue of what's happening down there. Um, but we passed like a budget. Um, it's only a short term budget and there's a lot of flaws in it. Um, no one really knows the real numbers of what the economic impact of all this is. Some people are throwing around like $5 billion, but, um, but, uh, we don't know what that is because we don't know how things are going to reopen or are we going to need to close again? And, um, you know, it was, supply side driven with with you know places shutting down but now demand on the other side like what's that going to look like are people going to buy back you know buy things in in the rate they were prior to covid um and so about half of our counties or a little bit more than half now are, are green or turning green and what are the numbers going to look like and there's just so much and then the underreporting, you know the wanting to exclude nursing home numbers from the numbers of citizens who who have you know tested well, 
what? positive. Like yeah. those those people don't matter. Yeah, okay. Yeah, exactly. We don't count them anyway. You know, and I say that so sarcastically because in every way, shape, and form, how our hospitals are underfunded and there's no safe staffing, and you know, they the when you think of like the billions of dollars that are going to healthcare organizations right now, how much of that ends up at bedside? Like we really need to fix our broken healthcare system and also care for the people who are caring for others. Right. Yes. Yes. Like, you know, and, and, and those two components, like, and, and in every way, shape and form, nursing homes are worse than hospitals, you know, the, the staffing rates. Um, and then you have your home health workers, which are even worse than that, mm. because it's hard to complain to the boss when they happen to be the whole state of Pennsylvania. Right. <laughs> yep. Like, uh, so, uh, Boy, I've, I've gone all, all around on this now. Um, but uh, but anyway, I'm proud at this time to be standing up, you know, with with uh, with an organization that, you know, has intensive training on racial justice. Um, and, you know, at a time where we're pushing for political change, you know, we had one point nine million ballots uh, cast by mail uh, in Pennsylvania. I'm one uh, of them. I'm one of them. There you go. And they're still counting them. Uh, we had some good results coming in from people who represent workers like in Allegheny County, a nice sweep or four or five legislators like Summer Lee, who crushed it as a, like a three to one margin. Um, and then we had like people winning in other parts of the state, like one of them, like beating out someone who's probably like the, the second worst voting Dem in the state. Um, a Latino man actually representing a Latino community as opposed to like years of of of. Uh, not having that representation because the gerrymandering laws were changed well yes and no like we had the change to the um to the congressional districts but uh the house has not you oh, know really? and so that's one of the reasons why this election in 2020 is so important because whoever wins control of our legislature which is now dominated by republicans in the house and the senate will be able to be in charge when the new lines are drawn we're talking about the state uh, house uh, of Pennsylvania. Yeah, state house and state senate. State that's senate. correct. And once they, yeah. and if it's democratically run, then they will. We would believe. We would suggest <laughs> well, you and I will will do it more reasonably. The 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 drawing of lines of districts. Well, I tell you what, we need to make sure that we hold the Democrats accountable for making sure that we don't have some of the worst gerrymandering that we've seen in the whole country, like we saw here in Pennsylvania. You know, yeah. there's one that we what, what was it called? We're, we're back on like fair districts and all that kind of stuff. But uh, Donald kicking Goofy, like it actually yeah. looks like cartoon characters. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and when you see lines like that in jurisdictions, it's because like it's it's legislators deciding who get to vote for them, right? And not like voting for the legislator that you want. You know, that, type that of thing. that truly represents your needs as a citizen. Exactly. Exactly. So. So the state right now um, is, you know, at the point of opening up, you know, in, in by county, which I must acknowledge our governor, Wolf, you know, Wolf was incredible. And he had pressures from everywhere on what to do and what not to do. I like the idea that this is really data-driven, that we're looking at numbers, even though some of those numbers obviously are flawed when we're when we're trying to get 
gather data and how much testing is going on and those things. And there needs to be a lot of improvement. But he actually stood up and showed some backbone mm -hmm. when uh, when there were some counties where their county commissioners were saying, well, we're just going to open anyway. And he was like, fine, go ahead and do that. You're not going to get the funds then that you're going to need, right? Because you're putting everyone at risk. And by the way, if you're on unemployment because you're afraid to go back to the workplace or because it's not safe to go back to the workplace, your unemployment won't be, you won't be kicked off from unemployment if your place of business opens up in a county that shouldn't be open right now. Excellent. I mean, it was really, he really showed like he was really standing up for the people, you know, these, these people who are forced to be in their homes and not at work like they normally would be um, to, uh, until it makes sense that we're, we are, um, that things are, are much more safe and that there are great precautions in place to make sure that we can operate in a in a safer environment. Kudos to uh, Governor Tom Wolf, Governor Wolf yeah. out of York, Pennsylvania, graduate of Dartmouth, I believe. Uh, very bright man, very uh, steady man, I think, uh, who I, I'm happy to say is is our governor. And yeah. um, now, Dwayne Heisler, we're we're just about out of time this go round. It's always a pleasure talking with you. You have such great uh, insights and and energy. Uh, as well as a sense of what is ethical and moral. So it's a pleasure to hear all of that. Uh, let me ask you, what do you think is going to happen come November? We'll probably talk again before November, I, I, I'm sure. But right now, today, in early June 2020, uh, do you think we're going to, on a national level, do you think we're going to uh, have uh, a Senate and a House of Representatives and an executive uh, leader who are more in line with the way you and I think? That's a really good question. And let me just acknowledge that this time always flies by when I'm on with you here. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, and I, I hope that I can get on before the election again to just kind of talk through things because I find that talking through with some of this, some of this stuff I've never verbalized and it feels good to kind of just get it out there. Um, I would say one of my fears is that when things start to relax and we start to feel that, and, and whether the numbers justify it or not, we start to reopen. Um, I think that there's going to be some hesitation and some caution with spending money, but I think by and large, people are ready to go get out and spend. And then what we might see is like, the opposite of like an economy that has crashed into one that has moved upward so quickly. And we're going to then have such a short-sighted like memory to thank Trump for saving our economy and then forgetting that it was the social distancing that didn't make it as bad as it could have been and all of the things. I mean, we see Sweden now apologizing for like taking the, the form that they did, you know, based on herd, you know, immunities and that kind of thing. Like, like, so my fear is that, that people will forget or, you know, like the approval ratings, they're dropping, but it's still just unbelievable to me, like how high those approval ratings are, mm -hmm. you know, like, too. I, and so, so I, um, um, I would, I would hope that people hold in their heart and in their souls, what has, what we are going through right now as a country and, um, what this is doing to our families, what this is doing to um to our brothers and sisters um and um it and that it really doesn't have to be this way 
It really doesn't have to be this way. We shouldn't be under the president for the battle states. It should be like for a president of the United States, someone who wakes up in the White House every day and thinks about us and not about himself. It doesn't have to be that way. And you know what? I, I know we, we kind of beat up on the evangelicals a little bit, but I'll tell you what, I'll be the first to welcome them when they realize that there is a better way and that to endorse someone like that who just holds up your religion as a prop so that they can get elected, that you that that I'll be the first to welcome you back into the fold for um, for maybe connecting with a value other than that monster that's in the White House. Well said. Thank you so much, Dwayne. It's a pleasure talking with you. Keep up your important work. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And keep up your work as well. Thank you. Ciao. Take care. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Remember, no applause and keep it down. Your drinks, don't rattle your ice in your glasses and don't rain the cash register. You got it covered? All right. I'd like to um, continue this set with a conversation dedicated to the first or second or third All-American heel, Fabus, and it's titled Fables of Fabus. Oh, Lord, don't let them shoot us. Oh, Lord, don't let them stab us. Oh, Lord. Don't let them tar us, oh Lord, no more swastikas.
some important words in regards to the notion of Black Lives Matter. It's my face, man. I didn't do nothing serious, man. Please, 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 I can't breathe. Please, man. Please, somebody. Please, man. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. Please. Man, can't breathe. My face. Just get up. I can't breathe. Please, I can't breathe. I will. I can't move. Mama, mama. I can't. My knee, my nuts. I'm through. I'm through. I'm claustrophobic. My stomach hurt. My neck hurts. Everything hurts. Some water or something. Please, please. I can't breathe, officer. Don't kill me. They gonna kill me, man. Come on, man. I cannot breathe. I cannot breathe. They gonna kill me. They gonna kill me. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. Please, sir. Please. 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 I can't breathe. George Floyd. What are you following me for? Trayvon Martin. Get away. For what? Every time you see me, you want to mess with me. I'm tired of it. It stops today. Why would you? Everyone standing here will tell you I didn't do nothing. I did not sell nothing. Because every time you see me, you want to harass me. You want to stop me. Selling cigarettes. I'm minding my own business, officer. I'm minding my own business. Please just leave me alone. I told you the last time. Please just leave me alone. Please, please, don't touch me. Do not touch me. I can't breathe. 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 Eric Garner. In this country, this is one of the things that it means to be an American. It is one of the great dangers of being an American. In this country, there has always been something not to think about. And what that was, was me. Sometimes called Sambo, sometimes called Uncle Tom, sometimes a rapist, sometimes a saint. These are your inventions, not mine. The effort the Republic has expended in not thinking about me has weakened its grasp of reality to a very sinister extent. James Baldwin.
fascists approve. Redress. Queer elements of pink-hued cumulus clouds sprinkle rain over the spiritual pain, and my nipples are chilled alive. As a human man, I can enjoy and imbibe all of this bliss unrestricted. Though is it okay like this, verbally depicted? Nonetheless, you have little redress for my joy is real and eternal. Perhaps it is solely you who is so weirdly conflicted and bemonal. Wildcat Kelly, looking mighty pale, was standing by the sheriff's side. And when the sheriff said, I'm sending you to jail, Wildcat raised his head and cried, Oh, give me land, lots of land under starry skies above. Don't fence me in. Let me ride through the wide open country that I love. Don't fence me in. Let me be by myself in the evening breeze. Listen to the murmur of the cottonwood trees. Send me off forever, but I ask you please, don't fence me in. Just turn me loose. Let me straddle my old saddle underneath the western skies. On my cayuse, let me wander over yonder till I see the mountains rise. me in Wildcat Kelly back again in town was sitting by his sweetheart's side and when his sweetheart said come on let's settle down Wildcat raised his head and cried oh give me land of land under starry skies above don't fence me in let me ride through the wide open country that i love don't fence me in 
Let me be by myself in the evening breeze Listen to the murmur of the cottonwood trees Send me off forever but I ask you please Don't fence me in, just turn me loose Let me straddle my old saddle underneath the western skies On my cayuse, let me wander over yonder till I see the mountains rise. I want to ride to the ridge where the west commences. Gaze at the moon till I lose my senses. Can't look at hobbles and I can't... And there you have it, episode 373 of Troubadours and Rock on Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, Dwayne Heisler. Also, I'd like to thank George Floyd, Trayvon Martin, Eric Gardner, James Baldwin, and these musical artists, Stefan Grappelli, Django Reinhardt, Erica Badu, Devon Gilfillian, Charles Mingus, Ella Fitzgerald, Branford Marsalis, and Terrence Blanchard, too. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, let's give it a go and try to do our best with this time. Take care.